This podcast is produced during the pandemic and hence the audio quality is home produced. Welcome to Beyond the Lines, a podcast by Roly about books, culture and our times. Nurinayak Khan was not your average British spy. She was an Indian princess and a direct descendant of Tipu Sultan. She was a writer and a musician who played the harp and the piano. Her father, Inayat Khan, was a musician and a Sufi teacher, while her American mother, Aura Ray Baker or Amina Begum, was from New Mexico. At the age of 25, Noor became a British spy who served as a special operations executive during the Second World War. She became the first female wireless operator to be sent from the UK to occupy France during the war. She was eventually betrayed, caught, and executed. She was only 30 years old. Noor was later awarded the George Cross, the highest civilian decoration in the UK. But for decades, her story went untold until Shrabini Basu wrote the first biography on Noor, Spy Princess, published by Roly Books. Since then, Shrabini has worked tirelessly to get due credit for Noor, and this has resulted in a postage stamp being issued in her honor, a statue in London, and a blue plaque to mark the house she once occupied, making Noor the first South Asian woman to be honored with a blue plaque. Shrabini and I get on a call to talk about her research and writing process, her passion for Noor's story, and what lies ahead of her legacy. Shrabini, I've said this many times. But Spy Princess has got to be one of my all-time favorite books that Roly Books has published. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Priya. It's just lovely to be here and talking down the line to you. <laughs> Shabini, let's start at the beginning. What was your first job? Tell us about your journey to becoming a best-selling writer. Goodness, that's a long time back. Um, I started off well. I started off as a journalist, and I started off as a trainee journalist uh, in the Times of India. in its offices in mumbai and basically you know i just applied because a friend of mine and me we thought let's have a holiday this they give us a train ticket <laughs> and you know we spend a week in mumbai and it was it was as simple as that and of course you know we went through three levels of interviews and tests and i got through and then i decided okay i'm going for it <laughs> and so that's what started me off uh, i started as a trainee in the times of india it was uh, i think one of the best moments in my life because you know you're young you don't have any responsibilities and you're just learning just in this fantastic place because there were magazines there were there was the newspaper there was the evening newspaper i i suppose it's very different now but you know way back in 1983 it was a different place and um 6 months in bombay was fabulous how did you discover the story of nurinayat khan I mean I know we're cutting to many years ahead and what were some of the challenges in researching her life Well you know I had never heard of Nurinath Khan and uh, eventually I moved to London in 87 and uh, I was always I was still working as a journalist I was working for the ABP group and I would always follow stories about Indians uh, and because I love history I wanted to follow the story of Indians who'd been involved in the war there wasn't much about it and it was almost uh, 25 years ago that it was the 50th anniversary of ve day and there was a little article about the involvement of indians in the second world war and it had a small photograph of uh, nurinath khan wearing her air force uniform 
And there was just a small caption saying, wireless operator killed in Dachau, about literally, you know, four or five bullet points. And uh, as a woman, of course, I was drawn to this image. And uh, I just wanted to know more. I was a curious journalist at that stage. I wanted to know her life. Uh, and eventually, you know, I had the guts to say, okay, I think I'm going to write <laughs> a biography. I'd never written a biography, uh, but I wanted to dig into her story in detail and do this. What were some of your challenges in researching uh, her story? Were they, was material quite readily available? Uh, no, it wasn't. But, um, you know, you always need a little sign. So the time I sort of thought I'd start this was also the time that the British government declassified their Secret Service files. And I learned this, you know, as a job, my journalist just sort of takes me to many stories. I learned that these files were being declassified and Noor was among them. And of course, I was straight in. I applied to have, a, you know, see these files. And these are the records of her time in the Secret Service. So how she is recruited, how she's sent on the field, her, her telegrams from the field. It was just fantastic. I, you know, I sat in this uh, sort of secure room in the National Archives and reading through these just gave me goosebumps. And then you get to those letters where they say missing in action and the letters from her brother. And, you know, there's like tears going down my cheeks and I'm sitting in the library. And it was, uh, it is an incredible moment to be so close to history. That's fascinating. I mean, this is why it's so important to have good archives that are accessible to people as well. Did you also manage to make contact with any family members while researching? Of course. I mean, that was a very important part of the story. I had to know her background. It wasn't just her war service that was important to me. I needed to know, as her biographer, where she came from. What is her influence? What is the trail that took her there? So I uh, managed to find her brother, who lived in Paris, a Vilayat. I interviewed him. And then subsequently, I interviewed other members of the family, her second brother. I was very lucky. They were alive at that stage. Um, you know, they've all passed now. And... Um, Yes, it was. Her. I spoke to her, her cousin who was young, so he had lots of memories of Noor. And uh, I spoke to her friends. I spoke to people, her colleagues in the Air Force. Um, I spoke to descendants of other secret agents. So there was a lot of interviews that I did with people who knew her, those who were associated with her. And uh, I could piece together her character because that's so important in this book. And um, you know, just the other details about her life. And was it difficult to uh, get the book published at the time? Uh, no, actually it wasn't because uh, I had done, uh, you know, my first book uh, was on curry and it was published in India by HarperCollins. And the editor, um, I'd spoken to her that, you know, this is... Uh, something I'd like to do. And she was very encouraging. So uh, we went for it. Um, I wrote the book. And uh, because Curry also had a UK publisher, uh, they were excited. And uh, they published first, the so UK published first. And then it was bought by you, <laughs> your group. So there we were. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't difficult. I mean, I'm, I guess I was lucky, but um, it was a fabulous story. Who wouldn't want it? <laughs> Yeah, and just a, a side note here that it, the way that we found the book was also very serendipitous because it was actually at the Frankfurt Book Fair and your UK, the British publisher, History Press, had a stall right next to us. 
and uh, it was over at the end of the day we were just discussing books and he said you know we have a book that you might find interesting because it has something to do with india and as a joke i said oh, well i have a book on cricket that you might find interesting and that is how we sort of exchanged and i he gave me a copy we read it and i said this is just incredible it's a book that we just have to publish so mm-hmm. it's also a lovely story about book fairs and how sometimes the most unexpected deals happen when you mm-hmm. haven't planned for them but we were very happy to have uh, found the book and and have published you as well i'm just going to move ahead uh, shrabani to mm-hmm. you know, what happened subsequently after the book was published i mean it's because of your tireless championing of noor that she's finally been given her due in the uk do tell us about uh, the postage stamp the statue that was unveiled in london and more recently the blue plaque project and if i'm not mistaken there's even been talk of possibly putting noor on the new 50 pound uh, british currency note Mm-hmm. Yes, it's been a long journey, as you can see. So uh, the book was published in two thousand and six, uh, and it was a small uh, publisher, uh, the History Press. You know, they're not any of the big publishers. Um, so I didn't know how, what would happen, but the story was picked up in all the British media. You know, you don't get spreads like that. I started with a three-page spread in the Independent, the Times, the Daily Mail, every newspaper, the Daily Express. There were like you know minimum two-page spreads with. you know beautiful images of noor playing her veena looking out at you it was amazing so um obviously the book got around the book sold very well and uh, i started receiving a lot of letters from my readers and these were really moving letters saying why didn't we know her story and then somebody a lot of people said there should be why you know why is she not recognized more there should be a statue of her there should be a plaque for her and um i thought okay you know that's a lovely idea it really hadn't struck me before i had written the book uh and i thought okay i love blue plaques myself and i thought a blue plaque would be a lovely idea so there was a exchange of letters in the times literary supplement and also in the times newspaper where you know people were talking about how to recognize her and i mentioned that a blue plaque would be lovely and i was contacted immediately by english heritage who said we saw your letter and why don't you put in an application uh and do it formally so i said yeah sure and i did that i took the photo of the house i did everything and 6 months later shock and horror i got a call saying sorry it's been rejected <laughs> and you would believe i mean i just couldn't believe it i said you asked me to fill in this application what's happened and it was a small technical error apparently they said her mother lived there she it wasn't her house and i said oh, for god's sake all indian women live with their mothers <laughs> you know get real and also she's training um so anyway that really annoyed me and uh, then i said i'm not going to take this lying down you know she's got to be recognized and um i you know be in my bonnet i said i'm going to build a memorial for her and put it up outside the house where they refused to give me the blue plaque <laughs> and in 2010 i set up i'd finish my book i had to finish a book i finished that it was victoria and abdul out of the way and then i met her family and i said you know i'm going to take this project on <laughs> and um i set up a trust things i've never done in my life um started campaigning with politicians with people members of the house of commons house of lords anybody <laughs> who wanted to come on board i would have them you know support give a letter of support and then um it just started you know it took off after that then we had we got the permission and then we raised funds 
And uh, bingo, in two years, we had this beautiful memorial being unveiled by Princess Anne. And the world's media parked there, the, the whole of Garden Square just packed with people. People came from France, they came from Canada and America. It was amazing. You know, it was like something that we had to literally close the, close the park. Uh, but it was absolutely, it was one of the most beautiful things. So that happened. And then it snowballs. You see, the minute there's this memorial, I was contacted by Royal Mail. They said, we'd like a stamp. So then we had that. I said, yes, of course. And then the stamp came along. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the blue plaque, I would not let it go. At, in, in every interview, I would say English heritage refused. Norinath Khan, a blue plaque. <laughs> and I was this very annoying woman, I think, to them. Uh, so finally, they contacted me again and said, please reapply. We have a 10-year rule. Please reapply for the plaque. <laughs> and that's how it happened. So I re reapplied for the blue plaque. And last year, in 2020, in the middle of the lockdown, uh, they invited me to unveil it, which I did. And now we have both. We have the blue plaque and the memorial and a stamp. <laughs> so it's really brilliant. No, it's fantastic to see how the story has, you know, it started with a book and from where to where it's reached. Shabani, do you feel that the environment today is more conducive to telling stories like Noor's and uh, books like Spy Princess being published? By that, I mean, you know, there's a real uh, interest now in retelling the mm -hmm. history of colonialism, also about the fact that there were men and women of color who contributed to the war effort. and. Uh, would you say that the environment today is more conducive? Oh, absolutely. There is so much more interest now. I mean, when I wrote uh, Spy Princess, it was 2006, you know, long before Black Lives Matter and all these things happened, before the whole debate on statues started, before statues were toppling and statues were being built. I said, you know, well, in 20, 2012, we put up a statue of Nurinath Khan, the first Asian woman to have a statue in Britain. Um, so, you know, I guess we were really way ahead of the whole thinking. But the fact is that so many people now, when I get contacted, I get a whole lot of emails every day, people who want to do their research, they want further research, they want more details, um, schools, university students, from far off as Singapore to Brazil. I mean, it's amazing. And, you know, I try to really get back and help as many people as I can. Uh, but it is almost a full-time job. <laughs> uh, but um, it's... It's really, really encouraging to see how many people are now interested in their past, in their heritage, knowing where they came from. There are families who contact me, you know, British Asian families who say we had no idea. We knew somebody was in the army, but, you know, that he contributed so much. We want to know more. How do we go about it? So I wrote the book on Indians in the First World War as well. And, you know, just came across so many more families who want to know these stories. And this now brings me to, there's some recent exciting news about uh, Five Princess. And if I'm not mistaken, Frida Pinto is uh, meant to be playing her. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, we have to keep our fingers crossed till it all happens. All these things take a long time. Uh, and uh, it is, well, so far it's been, uh, the book has been optioned for a television series. And Frida Pinto is an executive producer, and she will play Noor. And this, I've seen the first draft of the first episode, and I really like it. So, you know, fingers crossed, 
it's all pre-production at the moment. It's all going to take a while, but um, fingers crossed it'll happen. <laughs> no, it all sounds very exciting. And you, of course, are uh, uh, well-versed in having books being adapted onto the large screen. I mean, Victoria and Abdul were such a success. So tell us a little bit about uh, that experience. Were you involved in the projects? Are you involved in the projects? Uh, yes, uh, I've always been a consultant. So I was a consultant on Victoria and Abdul, and I'll be a consultant on the new TV series as well. Um, yes, I mean, it was fantastic because, I mean, Victoria and Abdul was on such a big scale. You had working title, Universal Studios. Uh, it was thrilling. I mean, you had Stephen Frears, you had Judy Dench. I mean, what could be better? And the lovely Ali Fazl. I got to know him so well. And um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I went for the filming. I, had all the consultations for script, uh, it, you know, the first reading, the first filming, uh, and various shoots at the different locations. It was, uh, it's the first time any of my books have been adapted. And to have it adapted on such a big scale, in such a big historical costume drama, it was amazing. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, there were days when I was going to India and carrying back uh, fabric, <laughs> because I said, well, why bother to Korea? I'm going to Delhi. And, you know, the dress designer would give me the fabric to choose from. And I was, it was in my plane. And next thing I saw is Ali Fazal is wearing it. So it was all great fun. No, um, it uh, all sounds very glamorous, but a lot of fun as well, because I'm glad that you were so involved uh, in the process, because there are instances, of course, when books are optioned or, you know, they've been licensed. And then that becomes the end of the author's contribution. So I'm glad that you were so involved, that you were also ferrying material back and forth but what was it uh, uh, like to actually see your book uh, being adapted onto as you rightly said such a large scale oh, well it was amazing because uh, you know there is a photograph it's quite a famous photograph of uh, Abdul Karim and Muhammad Bakhsh standing wearing you know all the red livery and the lovely turbans and we'd had a discussion in the studio and I said this should be um, the dress they wear for the first time when they are you know presented to court uh, because it's really striking. It's in red and gold. And uh, of course, they replicated the dress, the turban to the last detail, even those little buttons, uh, you know, the, I, in fact, those buttons came back with me on one of my trips. It was amazing. So the first day I saw these two, you know, they were filming in this uh, big, uh, it's in the Greenwich Maritime Museum. It's a big hall, which they used instead of Windsor for the banquet scene. And uh, I just suddenly see these two coming down, wearing the red outfit and the turbans, and they walk down the stairs. And it was like they'd walked out of that picture. It was absolutely amazing. And then to see the scene being shot, you know, the big table laid out. It's the first scene where he first meets the queen. So it, it, was, uh, it was quite fascinating. <laughs> so, uh, Shabini, tell us about how do you find and arrive at the subject of your books? Um, you know, I'm a journalist, Priya, so I guess I'm, I'm also a very curious journalist. I'm always looking for something different. And of course, I love history. So give me a bit of history. You know, I love going to museums and art galleries and poking around. So things, I sort of had a file of people who I found interesting. And um, of course, Noor had been on that file and so had Abdul Karim. And in fact, my next book was also somebody who I'd put on that file. You know, it's like a to-do list of characters I'd like to go back to and revisit at some time. And um, that's how it's happened. Each book takes me a long time. It takes about four years, sometimes five years, but um, it's a slow process. But 
you know, I like to do a thorough job and bring out new material. So um, that's that's been my book so far. And uh, is that how long it took you to write and publish your latest book? Tell us about that. It took five years. So my latest book, which I'm very excited about, is uh, will be out in India on the 10th of March. It's called The Mystery of the Parsi Lawyer. And it's about Arthur Conan Doyle and the only case he personally investigates. And it had always fascinated me that the only case where he wear himself wears the hat of Sherlock Holmes and goes to investigate a case is that to do with an Indian lawyer. And um, so it's set in, in the Midlands in a very bleak mining village. Uh, there's mystery, there's adventure, there's true crime. And of course, there's the towering figure of Arthur Conan Doyle who's trying to solve this mystery. So I do hope people enjoy it. It's, uh, it took me five years to research everything and um, a lot of time spent looking at uh, photos of horses being mutilated as well as police files. I never, you know, none of my stories have dealt with policing and law. So this was quite exciting, looking at police files, seeing stories of cover-ups and you know, evidence being watched and all sorts of things, which is all, again, a new field for me. But as a journalist, as a historian, it was very exciting. Well, I'm sure it's going to be absolutely wonderful and your readers must be waiting for the book to come out. So, Shravani, we have the last segment of our mm -hmm. podcast in which every episode we ask our authors a bunch of questions. Mm -hmm. And this segment mm -hmm. is called Know Your Author. Um, mm -hmm. The idea is I ask you questions and in... You have to answer them very spontaneously. So I'm going to start with the first one. London or Kolkata? Ooh, London and Delhi, if I may. <laughs> These are my cities. Okay. Uh, Vindaloo or Chicken Tikka Masala? Oh, none of these. <laughs> I, I, I like a lamb curry, traditional. None of these are Indian dishes. <laughs> if you could ask Noor one question, what would it be? Who was the mysterious person she got engaged to before she left? I have never found out who he was. <laughs> what is the one thing you're most afraid of? I hate lizards. <laughs> what profession, apart from your own, would you like to attempt? Hmm. I would actually love to be a landscape gardener. Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth II or Gayatri Devi, who would you have liked to interview? Mm, it has to be Queen Victoria because she lived and saw so much. Your guilty pleasure, your one guilty pleasure. Watching repeats of crime thrillers, Holmes and Christie's curled up in bed on TV, nonstop. What is the one thing you would put on your bucket list? Um, I would love to travel to India and go to the Himalayas much more than I've done so far. Radhika Apte or Frida Pinto? <laughs> Frida Pinto, <laughs> because it's my book. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite book growing up? One book, wow. Um, when I was very young, I loved In Enlightens. I loved Mysteries. And uh, I loved Cold War thrillers when I was in university. So it's a mix of books, really. <laughs> um, and Final question. The one place that you cannot wait to travel to once the lockdown in the UK is lifted? Delhi. See my mom. 
Uh, oh, I hope that happens really soon. But thank you, Shabini. This was absolutely fantastic, and all the best for your new book that's about to be published. Thank you. Thanks so much. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening in. This was Beyond the Lines by Roly. If you liked this show, then subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and check out all our books on rolybooks.com. That is R O L I B O O K S.com. Since you are here, you can get a 20% discount on all the featured books in this podcast series with a special coupon code BTL20. on cmykbookstore.com that is cmykbookstore.com we'll be back soon with our next episode in the meantime do tell others about our podcast and stay tuned